Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is June 26, 2019. It is hump day, right? And it's Wednesday, and it feels as if it should be uh, a Friday from the developments that we're seeing globally, from the changes that we are seeing everywhere. I mean, it is just incredible what we're seeing. It is extremely incredible I have no idea why the mainstream media has decided to ignore very dangerous rhetoric globally. So dangerous that even Putin has come out. Putin, the really, really bad guy, has come out to let people know that there is a big problem We're having a huge concern in regards to uh, nuclear threats. All the while, our mainstream media is pushing what? A rhetoric of insanity. So yesterday in the afternoon, I noticed, uh, you know, sometimes when I go on Twitter and, you know, I follow just accounts that share stuff that I like to see. It's not like I don't follow people just for the sake of following people, okay? I follow because of news. Because if I have, if I follow 100,000 people, I'll miss something important. That's the whole reason we follow people is to see stuff, right? So I fo- the majority of the people that I follow were retweeting something about Wayfair, It was the most insane thing I've seen. The left has been complaining and even purporting that we have concentration camps, that children sleep on floors. Uh, You know, we had Nancy, the insane one, tweeting out a picture from 2015 claiming that children had, you know, those, you know, um, blankets, uh, and they were sitting on the floor and all they deserve is soap. That was from 2015. So they're on the floor. Ocasio-Cortez goes to the border. Jeez, could it be any more staged? Like the photos were like, did you get a picture of me crying? Did I look good here? It was horrible. It is horrible. What I see is horrible. And then you have the left complaining. How dare you have children sleep on the floor? How dare you? So Wayfair decides, we're going to send beds. And the left then says, how dare you send beds? Like, which one is it? What do you want? Do you want them sleeping on the floor? Do you want them sleeping on beds? Obviously, 
There's hundreds of thousands of them just coming in. We don't have enough facilities erect in order to put these people in. And catch and release is not an option. Kamala Harris complained of a four-month-old being separated from their parents. Turns out the four-month-old wasn't even theirs. Who'd they steal it from or who'd they buy it from to bring it over the border? Over 80% of those coming through the border claiming that they're a family are fraudulent families. They're not even families. From DNA testing yesterday, a guy attempted to come through the border again, claiming that he was with his son, seeking asylum. DNA testing proved that the only relation they could possibly have is being uncle and nephew. So that means they come from the same family. And the adult was sent back because he was already deported before. This is what happens. It's pure insanity. Now, President Trump, when he signed, you know, uh, the executive order yesterday, he spoke about this. Take a listen to what he says. Now, conditions at these border facilities. Yes, I am. I'm very concerned. Uh, And they're much better than they were under President Obama by far. And we're trying to get the Democrats to agree to really give us some humanitarian aid, humanitarian money. And that is a very fair question. Uh, and I appreciate that question. But uh, I'm very concerned. Uh, it's in much better shape than it ever was. Uh, a lot of these young children come from places that you don't even want to know about, the way they've lived, the way they've been, uh, the way that the poverty that they grew up in. But uh, with that, if we can get this bill signed, we'll be able to do it. We have, you know, the, the Democrats don't want to sign anything. And now I think they're going to probably sign this from what I understand. It's, I call it humanitarian aid. This isn't even about border. At the same time, you see the numbers are way, way down. Mexico has been really helping us a lot. They have very strong immigration laws. Uh, They are moving 15,000 people or 16,000 people to our southern border. They move 16,000 troops to their southern border, which is pretty incredible. And a lot of signs are coming out where the cartels and all of the bad folks, the coyotes, as they call them, and all of the bad people that are bringing young children and taking advantage horribly. It's a form of slavery. It's horrible what they're doing to young children. You understand. You've reported on it. Uh, A lot of that is stopping now because of what we're doing and because of what's happening on the border. So uh, I just want to thank Mexico. They've really done a great job. We appreciate what they're doing. And hopefully they can keep it up because it's very important. They have very, very, Mexico has very, very powerful immigration laws. They can do things. Our laws are so bad. What we would like to do, and I'll, I'll do it right now officially, is ask the Democrats to give us uh, help on asylum, help on all of the loopholes, the horrible loopholes that get signed in over a period of years that don't allow us to do what we should be able to do. We need the votes of Democrats And I think very importantly, you know, because our economy, you heard Larry Kudlow, uh, because our economy is so strong, could be the strongest in the history of our country, people want to flow up to the United States, but you just can't do it that way. You have to do it legally. But there, you have these massive numbers of people trying to get into the United States because of the economy, because we've done so good. But that's one of the problems with doing well. Everybody wants to come in. 
10 years ago, five years ago, four years ago, they didn't want to come in. Today, they want to come in. But we can't let that happen. So we're doing very, very form. And, and as far as the wall is concerned, the wall is heavily under construction. The Army Corps of Engineers is doing a great job. We're doing a lot of wall right now, and we expect to have 400 miles built by the end of next year. That's a lot, and we're building them in the right places. We're building, we're picking areas where we need it the most, and it's having a tremendous effect. Did you ask your Customs and Border Protection um, had John Sanders to resign? Do you know why he's leaving his post? No, I know there was going to be a change there. I've made changes, uh, very good changes. We have, uh, we're moving some people around into different locations. Uh, the game has changed a lot because of what Mexico is doing. We're able to do things that we wouldn't have been able to do before. Uh, the problem with our uh, Border Patrol, who are phenomenal people, but they're not allowed because the laws are so bad with catch and release and uh, all of the different things, including chain migration, uh, the visa lottery. The laws are so bad, and the asylum rules and laws are so bad that our Border Patrol people, who are so incredible, aren't allowed to do their jobs. So because Mexico is now, for the first time in 50 years, helping us, and we really appreciate it. We're able to make certain changes that we wouldn't have been able to make before. Steve, did you have a question? You had a back and forth with the leader of Iran. Okay, we'll play that later. So, a note on the border. So, as he claimed, you know, we don't have enough room. We're doing all we can. The conditions are way better than they were under Obama, 100%. We all can see that. And, you know, we have a crisis. And he's building the wall, he's making changes, putting people where they need to be, removing people where they don't need to be, and continuing on. Now, as I said, you know, the uh, Democrats claim that they want to help these illegal migrants invading our country. They claim it. But here's what they're doing. They won't provide funds for facilities. And yesterday, when asked for money to hire judges so they can expedite the hearings. You know how much easier it would be if these migrants came to the border and within days were heard by a court to see if they pre-qualify or, you know, just granting them asylum right away or not granting them asylum right away and having a judicial process in place for the unaccompanied minors. And I say unaccompanied because once you realize that child or those children that come in with people posing as families are not really family. How do you send that kid back if it doesn't know who his mom and dad is? How do you reunite a child that might have been kidnapped or purchased? It's very difficult. Costly as well. So this is where these unaccompanied minors need to be taken under our protection. This is all very costly. And we need more judges. And the Democrats refuse that too. So not only are they refusing funds to create more facilities to facilitate this invasion, but they refuse to provide judges so they can expedite it so we don't have a crisis on our hands. Remember when we were calling it a crisis. Remember how we were saying, you know, this is a problem. We have a crisis at the border, a humanitarian crisis. And so do you remember how the mainstream media would say there isn't anything? They were saying that the border crisis is manufactured. 
So listen to this, though. You remember, they said it's manufactured. Listen to this. He's lied so much about the realities of what he's calling a crisis. I have never seen a crisis since maybe when you were in New Orleans uh, talking about Katrina. That was as openly understood and ignored. Tonight, the president tries to sell a crisis that the facts tell us does not exist. This entire situation, which many have argued is a bona fide crisis as our, at our southern border. The big scam of the whole address was that there's a crisis. There's mm-hmm. not a crisis. Those were the powerful words written to describe the humanitarian crisis at the border. He's already been out lying about uh, a crisis on the southern border. He's doing a much worse job <coughs> than Barack Obama, and he's created this crisis. And the word crisis is what this is all about for Team Trump. He's got to prove that there is one. Move aside from the moment of the blame on why we are suddenly having this crisis right now. Manufactured crisis. Yes, I said manufactured crisis. It's a crisis. I'm going to drill down on some of the numbers from this humanitarian crisis. There is no crisis at the border. What do you say to the folks on the left who believe that this is not doing enough to deal with the crisis at the border and could help with the deportation? It's a good bill. President Trump once again tried to claim there was a crisis at the border. The fact is... Migrant border crossings have been declining for nearly two decades. But we have to grapple with the real challenges at the border and do more to reduce the number of migrants who feel they need to flee their countries in the first place. President Trump must stop holding the American people hostage, must stop manufacturing a crisis. We have never not said that there was a crisis. There is a humanitarian crisis at the border. So not a crisis. Now it's a humanitarian crisis. And polling shows that the Democrats are being held responsible for this. Where are their voters? Where are the left granola munchers waving their race cards, sex cards, whatever cards, who bleed for these illegal migrants that are fleeing their countries for whatever X, Y, Z reason, some may be valid, some are just, I got paid to jump on this caravan. Where are they? When the Democrats are saying, nope, we're not going to give more beds. Nope, we're not going to give food, soap, whatever. Nope, we're not even going to offer judges to legalize their entry into our country. No. So then what are you doing? You're claiming you want to help these migrants, right? These illegal migrants, these people that are breaking the law of over 80% are coming up with fraudulent marriages and families to the border with kidnapped children, purchased children. For what purpose when they cross the border? Because if they're not on the books, how are you going to find the kid? Kids are actually very expensive. Have you ever seen how much it costs to adopt a child? Imagine how many people buy a baby on the black market just because they want kids. But also imagine those like Dr. Pizza that have fetishes for children that mock those that talk about Pizzagate. Remember? Remember how he took to Twitter? Crazy tinfoil hat people talking about Pizzagate. I'll tell you what. Anytime someone comes at me and says, ooh, maybe we should have a pizza party. Oh, you think pedophilia is a real thing. This is so, I guarantee you, they either have rented their child out for sex. They either enjoy the pedophilia themselves or they were victim of it too. Because there is no other reason any sane person 
would mock anyone fighting for children, fighting for those that do not have a voice, fighting for those that are being tortured on a daily basis. That's key. Now, I wanted to start with domestic issues because the issues overseas are really heating up. It is pure insanity. Today and last night, I mean, gosh, the, if you could register a temperature, right now we're in like 300 Kelvin, and one Kelvin is like 216 degrees Celsius, okay? It is hot in the East Med. It is super hot. War is about to break out, and people are just not getting it. And all the while, we have the mainstream media pushing elder abuse, which, by the way, I'm hoping at the end of the show I'll have it lined up. Guys, E.J. Carroll, right, she was recanting her, you know, experience, and it was like word for word out of the script of Law & Order SVU. And um, the Bradford file put the whole clip Uh, He's at the Bradford file on Twitter. Find it. It is insane. And it was so funny to see Anderson Cooper cut off the conversation. But again, I tell you. The grandstanding mainstream media puts forward. The insane rhetoric. The constant bashing of the president, the administration. The words being used, racist, you know, aggressive, warmonger, whatever you want to call it, whatever they say about our president, is not for the people of the United States, I tell you again. Our televisions, you know, go worldwide. Channels like CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, Washington Post, Huffington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, all of those are accessible to all global, uh, you know, outlets and also are seen and read across the world. They are not for you or I or any liberal insane person that wants migrants to have beds and then decides to walk out on a company that is offering them. But it is for the other nations that realize that the deep state, the fourth unelected branch of government, the cabal, the secret mafia that really runs our nation, that has been running our nation, that central agency that has taken it upon itself to manipulate and maneuver policies, foreign and domestic, to their will, has lost control because we are winning. And so they're trying to pacify those. Now, while we're being bombarded with garbage, and now having Mueller coming in on July 17th to testify, that'll be fun. It's incredible because we're not going to declassify anything yet. Okay, you want to delay the declass? Go ahead, call him. Because we're not going to declass, so he can perjure himself. Because for some reason, people think Mueller's going to come in on this white horse and save him when we can ask him just a few questions when he appears. One, when did you know there was no Russia collusion? Because that was your scope. That's number one. Number two, you charged all these Russian agents about hacking the DNC server. Did you or the FBI actually have possession 
of this DNC server to make that determination. That is key. And third, George Papadopoulos, General Flynn, those two. You withheld exculpatory evidence because it was, air quote, classified. According to the Executive Order 13526, you cannot withhold anything and classify it if it determines that there was inefficiency in the agency, a crime being committed by the federal government as well. So is it not criminal to withhold exculpatory evidence when you are charging someone? It is not criminal to show that you, that the agency, the FBI, when questioning, when collating, you know, questions, narratives, the way people were arrested, the way they were spoken to, the way they were asked or entrapped, I would say, with falsified 302s. Maybe this is why we don't have 302s for General Flynn, right? Classified. But Sidney Powell's going to get that. George Papadopoulos already did time. And you withheld that evidence. Seems that Mueller's going to be in a lot of trouble. So here, during that hearing, we need to be paying attention to the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee. Make sure all of us are emailing, tweeting to every single one of them, I want you to ask these questions. I did so this morning to my congressman, Kelly Armstrong. Feel free to tweet at him. He's a really great guy, really down to earth really down to earth. Tell him what you want him to ask Mueller. These are things that are going to drop them down. See, this is all a charade, a complete charade, because they don't want D-class, and we're okay with that. We are patient. Because a declassification will cause disruption across the globe. Not just here across the globe. Now, domestically, aside from the border that we're having an issue with, aside from the issues that we're having in regards to uh, the mainstream media pushing narratives, I mean, what's next? We have concerns within our Congress and Senate. Now, I'm only stating this as this half hour ends for the purposes of planting that seed in your mind. There are Republican senators and congresspersons that have great interest in what is happening in regards to censorship. My sources tell me that over a year ago, there were conversations held on how to address these issues. And we also saw that the Democrats proposed a bill to criminalize speech against House and Senate members. Uh, encompassed in this, you know, electoral committee law, which many Republicans stand by. In addition, 
myself and from what I learned from my sources and other two people have submitted a FOIA request to obtain details of the slush fund they have for victims of sexual gross imposition, gross sexual imposition, I said that backwards, sexual assault, and some issues on possible gross sexual imposition on a minor. And those do not show for the age, but I'm sure the identity of the minor is there. And with the timing of when the crime came, we can define the age. Those FOIA requests are really, really coming in slow. I think I have to submit a new one online. As I kind of rushed to it in 2016, in May of 2016, and maybe got binned by the Obama administration. I'm saying this because even though this declassification will castrate the Democratic National Committee as a whole, be prepared to see some names that many of you applaud be castrated too. On that note, I just wanted to say the debates are happening for the Democrats. I told you in November, Andrew Yang is going to be their um, nominee, and he's going to be going forward as candidate. Seems like I'm right on the money. And I said that around this time, end of June, July, is where he's going to break out, and he did. So pay attention to the details. I'll see you all in just a bit after this short break. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. 
If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. So I wanted to kind of continue a little bit on domestic before we enter into our global discussions where things are really heating up, uh, only because I want to direct you to November and December's talks uh, on the radio that I've had with you in regards to money. I've analyzed to you who the IMF is um, and uh, what President Trump's idea of an ideal economy is and how the petrodollar, I've explained um, just the past two days, is not something feasible anymore. It's gone and that we're going to be returning to the gold standard, but after the 2020 elections. Because it is then when we will literally put the global economy tits up it will be collapsing like nobody's business and we will be standing because at that point we reset and find that our dollar will be defined by uh, actual precious metals like gold and silver as opposed to uh you know monopoly money that the fed reserves put out and, you know, the Fed Reserve is very tied into the, it's, you know, considered the petrodollar. But like I told you guys before, black gold in the Middle East is not that much. I mean, Venezuela has over 333 years worth of oil. The Mediterranean is packed, jam-packed. Middle East, not so much. Saudi Arabia, like I've said, has about 60-somewhat years at the rate, at a standard rate of pump, if they quadruple that rate, it's like seven years of oil and that's it. So black gold is not the key here in the Middle East. The wars there going on is not for oil. It's for real estate. I uh, broke that down for you so you guys understand. And um, 
I will touch base on that and introduce to you what I told you months ago. Africa is going to be coming into the scene. Now, as far as the United States interfering with Africa, interfering in the sense of pushing for investments, bringing them out to the global markets as we see, that's going to be after 2020. Because right now what we're doing is spanking China for what they're doing there. So I'll introduce that a little bit today because it's time we start kind of easing ourselves into Africa and getting to know this continent. And it's a coin, the dark continent, like I've said, not because of anything else, but no power. There have been little to no investments by nations or global companies that are visible in that area. But we do have a lot of these great, what are they called, NGOs, right? Like the Clinton Foundation, Oprah's, Obama's, all these clowns have foundations there. What are those foundations doing? And this summer, we're going to be talking just about these foundations as Africa comes into the scene you know, in late 2019, talked about in 2020, and then bam, uh, after 2020, we're going to see a lot happening on that continent. Because like I've said, it's real estate. And why is the Middle East important? Because that is how you access, that is how you link Africa to Europe and Asia through the Middle East, through rail, through ground. And you know, um, a listener actually said, with these railways from London to Shanghai, from Russia, from Moscow to Shanghai, Moscow to Israel, Israel to Saudi Arabia, these networks that they've already paid and laid out. Wow, we can have a lot of human trafficking going under the radar, and that is so true. So true. Because, you know, airports, for some reason, are so high security, they're only glorified flying buses. Have you noticed that? It's a glorified bus. Literally, it's a bus with wings. And for some reason, it, it has more security. If you fly from Chicago to, you know, Dallas, Texas, you're going to be probed a lot more than taking a Greyhound from Chicago to Dallas, Texas, when you can carry whatever it is, whatever you're going to be carrying on the plane, you can carry that freely on a bus. Just pointing out holes in security. If you take the Amtrak, you can carry, right? What you can't carry on a plane, you can carry on a train. So I just wanted to point that out because that point will be important at the end of the summer. Now, let's take a listen to what our president said about health care before we get into the economy, because he signed the health care executive order. I want to talk about that a little bit, tell you how incredible it is, obviously, but also tell you how dangerous it can be if we don't regulate the people that are going to be kicking in the transparency. And I'm talking about this from a healthcare perspective, which I have one as I am in that field as well. So take a listen. Everybody, wow, we must be doing something right lately. That's very nice. I appreciate it very much. And welcome to the White House. Great place. No place like it, actually. We're here to announce new groundbreaking actions that we're taking to dramatically increase quality, affordability, and fairness to our health care system. 
This landmark initiative continues our campaign to put American patients first. This is a truly big action. People have no idea how big it is. Some people say bigger than healthcare itself. This is something that's going to be uh, very important. For too long, it's been virtually impossible for Americans to know the real price and quality of healthcare services and the services they receive. As a result, patients face significant obstacles shopping for the best care at the best price, driving up healthcare costs for everyone. With today's historic action, we are fundamentally changing the nature of the healthcare marketplace. This is bigger than anything we've done in this particular realm. And probably, Alex, it's not even close from what they're telling me. We will empower patients with the information they need to search for the lowest cost and the highest quality care. In other words, they'll be able to seek out their doctor, seek out the doctor they want, and they'll be given vast amounts of information about those doctors. We're grateful to be joined by Secretary Alex Azar and Administrator Seema Verma. Thank you very much. Alex, where's Seema? Where's Seema? Seema. And I also want to recognize and thank great Senator Chuck Grassley. Chuck, thank you very much. And by the way, congratulations on ethanol. E15, right? He fought so hard. Oh, he's tough. When he goes after you, he's brutal. <laughs> but he gets what he wants, and then he likes you, right? Anyway, congratulations to the farmers, frankly, Chuck, right? Great job. Appreciate it. And that's all year-round. And Mike Braun. Mike, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Great job you're doing. Representatives Greg Walden, we worked so hard together on Right to Try, Greg, right? Right to Try. People are loving it. Michael Burgess, Doug Collins, Devin, Devin Nunes, thank you all, incredible people. Lieutenant Governors Jeff Duncan and Dan Forrest, thank you, fellas, thank you, thank you. You didn't get a very good seat, I can't believe it. <laughs> it's not like you. And all of our great state. Legislators, we have a lot of them with us today, and a lot of great medical people and doctors. For decades, powerful insurance companies, lobbyists, and special interests have denied the public access to the real cost of the healthcare services they provide. It's that simple. This lack of price transparency has enriched industry giants greatly, costing Americans hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Patients have been billed nearly $800 for saline, more than $6,000 for a drug test at the simplest methods used, and $6,000, I've seen them, and over $17,000 for stitches to just stitch up a minor wound. Often, prices differ drastically between providers and hospitals for the exact same services. And there's no consistency, there's no predictability, and there's, frankly, no rhyme or reason to what's been happening for so many years. As a result, Americans such as Erica Jay, who is here today, find themselves in deeply unfair situations. Erica, please, if you would come up and just explain what happened to you. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you very Mr. Much. President. Thank you. Thank you. 
Over the last three and a half years, while fighting a stage three cancer, we visited many healthcare facilities. We saw price variations that just caught us off guard, really surprised us, um, took us by surprise from one facility to the next, and it caused us financial hardship. An example of this is when I had two identical bone biopsy procedures, only 11 days apart, um, at facilities that were only 17 miles apart from each other. We learned when we received the bills for the second f procedure that it cost us more than 330% than the first time we had it done. Different facility, identical procedure, drastically different pricing. This is one of many stories our family has. If price transparency had been required, we would have been empowered to find the best pricing for my care, saving thousands of dollars over the last three years. Okay, I just want to say, so this executive order is incredible. And just like I tweeted out, even though we are mandating all clinics, hospitals, uh, you know, to be transparent with their pricing, we have to have a procedure to regulate. What do I mean? So I've told you before, um, you know, throughout my shows, crazy things that you will see on your health care bill. Like you'll pay $50 for a cotton swab. <laughs> no, no joke. Your wife has a baby, right? And you're holding the baby. There's a baby holding fee. I kid you not. You need to look at it. A bag of saline costs something like, uh, I think it's like uh, 38 cents when they buy them in bulk. They charge you thousands of dollars for it. And it's just water. The prices are incredible, but here's the thing. When you have giants like Kaiser, St. Vincent's, the Mayo, all of these big, big, huge corporations that own smaller corporations, that own clinics, that have relationships with single doctor clinics or surgery clinics, they're going to set the tone. And if these big hospitals decide that to have your appendix removed, like I said in a previous show, costs 30000 and a small surgical clinic will charge you 5000 I guarantee you that the surgeons that are going to be working in the clinic, uh, giving you the opportunity to pay $5,000 for that procedure... And like President Trump said, they will be transparent, giving you a lot of information on the doctors, will not be the ones working for the big hospitals. So here's where we're going to have a problem. And I'm foreseeing this, and this is why we need to regulate it. We need to set an average, a baseline average, and it should not have, you know, it should have like a standard deviation going from that. Because... In all other nations, you know how the left keeps pushing, oh, we need universal health care, we need this. Doctors are no different, okay, than engineers, than plumbers, than anything in other nations. Obviously, they save lives. Obviously, they get paid a little more. But, you know, if you're a doctor and you work for the NHS, uh, you know, in England, you, you don't get tons of money. You get a good salary, you know, 80 to 120,000 pounds a year, which would be the equivalent of what, 150K a year here, which is, you know, normal for someone that's educated. But the concerns that we have is that doctors, to become a doctor, you pay a lot of money. I could tell you, going through the College of Medicine, 
it is expensive, not only from the tuition, but from the books. I could tell you every semester I spent something like five grand just on books and stuff I needed. I had to buy my own scalpels, had to buy my everything. I had to buy myself, um, you know, our, um, our coats, our gloves, like we needed stuff and we had to buy them. You know, not only the apparatus, but the textbooks, like uh, my medical physiology textbook was used, right? Used $534. Then I had to pay something like, uh, you know, $120 every so many months to have access to the online usage. It is insane. And you can't even rent these books. Um, You know, they're excluded. So education is high. So doctors demand higher pay. Now, as an intern, you get diddly squat. And as a resident, kind of depends where you are at a residency, but the majority of your money is going to your loans. So even friends of mine, I have friends that just finished their residency and they were, you know, living paycheck to paycheck from paying, you know, rent to wherever they are and you have to get someone to clean your place because you're not there. As a resident, you get absolutely zero sleep. I mean, as an intern, I didn't get any sleep. Imagine, you know, while you're executing your residency in surgery or gynae, whatever it is. Zero sleep, expenses there, you're always eating out, you know, and you're paying your loans. You get something like 20 grand to your pocket. So when education is expensive to create these people that heal people, they're going to be charging more for them to be healed. Okay, so that's number one. We have to regulate the prices for education to become a doctor. That's number one. Because tuition will run you anything from 40000 a year at a, at a base to 120000 a year. I remember when I had applied, um, I was accepted to Ivy League, and they were giving me something stupid, like $17,000 as a scholarship saying congratulations. And you know, that was on the high end. And I'm thinking, how am I going to live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, with two children with tuition, that's 110,000, and you're giving me 17,000. Like, I can't even get loans to cover that. Do you know what I'm saying? So you say I pass. So that's number one, we have to regulate the cost of medical education. Number two, we have to make sure that we set our own average baseline. So if we say the average appendix removal is $7,000, then going somewhere to like the Mayo or Boston Medical or, you know, UC Davis to get it done, uh, you should pay no more than maybe 1000 maximum 2000 above it. And then clinics cannot charge, you know, plus or minus $2,000. So the lowest you'll get it is 5000 If it's any lower than that, it's not considered considered, you know, part of the, the, the scheme of things. So that is something that we have to do. We have to have a baseline. It's like saying everyone's selling milk, right? So we have, you know, Walmart, we have Walmart brands, we have Fairlife brands, we have farmers that, you know, pump milk from their own cows and sell it separately. So then when you go to the milk stand, right, 
and you see the milks, the price for like a gallon will range from anywhere from $3.82 to $6. So you know that the average would be about what? $4.50. So there's a standard deviation, a plus or minus, right? That's reasonable because you're not going to see a milk going for $3.25 and another one going for $10.25. Who's going to pay the $10.25? First of all, they're going to go broke. Another thing is you're not going to see everyone else being in the three, four, five, six dollar range. And then someone comes out with a dollar because then you have to question what is the quality? Why are they competing like this? Where other people in the industry can't supply that kind of price. Do you see what I'm trying to say? So that that's how medicine has to work. We can't have Kaiser Boston Medical, Mayo, St. Vincent, which by the way, the majority of them, insane, and this is something we have to look at, register as um, charities. They're like 5013s, um, 501Cs, 503s. So like St. Vincent's in Portland brought in a revenue of over $7 billion and paid absolutely no tax because they're registered as a non-taxable. How is that even possible? And then when you go there and have a surgery, I can tell you that from a sweetheart. She was talking about bone biopsies, right? And because I worked and still do in my research with patients with osteosarcoma, I can tell you that'll run someone at St. Vincent's about forty-five dollars to $52,000 to do. But they're tax-free. They're paying no tax, yet charging people's insurance that much money. And here's the other facet that we have to look at. Great, there's going to be a list, but who regulates that list? You know, what kind of people work in that list? Because at that point, say that we set a baseline and everyone wants to go to the higher end for this appendectomy, right? To get your, um, you know, appendix removed, right? Mayo, Harvard, you know, all these, uh, Kaiser, they'll be charging you 10000 while the medium is 7000 And then you get some really good surgeons that have completed their residency, get together a couple buddies, open up a surgical clinic, and they're like, yo, we'll just do it for four. At that point, their ratings will go down as doctors too. That's the thing. And people with a lot of debt will not take that hit. They would prefer to work at a hospital that'll pay them double the money rather than execute themselves and have less money because they're paying off debt. It is so complex. First step is to demand transparency. This means that everyone will have a list and tell you what the costs are. Then we need to bring the insurance companies. Uh, How are we going to work with that? Because don't forget, no way a hospital will charge you. $2,000 for a bag of saline and the insurance company accepts it. Okay. There's no way it's kind of like this Medicaid, right? When you're on Medicaid and I'm going to explain to you how they work. You have certain doctors that you can work with and they are only allowed to charge the government so much money for a visit. So like, for example, I go to the doctor and I have my regular private health insurance, right? Not VA, nothing, just private, right? The doctor will charge my insurance $350 just because he saw me, listened to my heart, took my blood pressure, reviewed my medications, and sent me home. Now, if I'm on Medicaid and I go to that same doctor, he's only allowed to charge, uh, you know, my Medicaid state government-funded insurance $100. Do you see what I'm saying? It's negotiation of contracts. So where people have better insurance plans, which are usually from big companies Um, or people that pay higher premiums, they make more money. 
So because, for example, I'm on my husband's railroad insurance, which is one of the best insurances that is out there. I mean, railroad workers get a lot of benefits, guys. Like, it's incredible. So I walk in. They're going to charge me a lot more than the next guy who purchased his own plan through the Obama plan. And they're going to charge me way more than the person on Medicaid. And this is where they make up for the difference. This is how healthcare and insurance go hand in hand. And they've worked together and conspired together to create these extreme costs in healthcare, extreme. So great first step on the transparency. Now we have to look at the regulation. Who's going to be deciding what the baseline is? Who's going to be deciding this? And in order to fix that, you got to fix medical school tuition. You can't have that. You can't have a doctor coming out of school with half a million dollars in debt, right? And expect them to work for 80000 a year or 100000 a year. You can't. If someone comes out of their residency, like my friends that finish, you know, their four-year surgical residency, for example, and they decide to all get together and open up a clinic, right? How are they going to pay off that debt? If they have to charge less, it's better that they go to a hospital. The hospital pays for their malpractice insurance. The hospital covers up malpractice for them. If you're independent, you have to pay for your own malpractice insurance. And that's expensive, especially where you're new. It's kind of like driving. So all of these things have to be taken into account. Great first step. But what people have to do now is start talking to their local legislators, their senators, their congresspersons, just like this woman put her story out to explain what they fear what they need. Regulation is key. Making sure that these hospitals don't set the tone. Because if all these big organizations that, by the way, don't pay a lot of taxes, we got to fix that too. When they make billions in revenue, say, oh, an apodectomy is going to cost $20,000. And that's the consensus. Then, you know, a small clinic you know, somewhere in Nebraska with five surgeons that went to school together, all went to residency and met up, can't charge you 5000 because it's way below the standard. So what we need is logical standard, factoring in cost, and then seeing why costs for things are so high. You know, why are you charging people for cotton bud that much? Why are you charging for saline that much? Why are you charging for an aspirin that much? You know, if you get a baby aspirin because you have heart issues or whatever, or blood issues, or that's your regime, in the hospital while you're an inpatient, that one tablet will cost you something crazy like $120. These these are facts. And there's so many aspects to it, and people kind of like talk and talk. They don't get it. This is multifaceted and it's going to take a lot of work and it needs to break up this union that hospitals and healthcare clinics have with the insurance companies because they collude together and to make money off of us, of course. I'll see you all right after this break and we'll talk foreign policy. It's really heating up in the East Med. Uh, Yesterday and this morning, actually, Turkey made an announcement saying that they have claim to Crete, Greece, and saying that Israel and Greece are looking to invade. Insane words coming from Turkey. Iran and U.S. relations have never been better. I'll see you all in just a bit, and we'll talk about that.
town in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in D.C., but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper, they grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to their necks. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So remember, I'm always here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Red State Talk Radio, where you can listen to Red State Talk Radio on your local terrestrial waves, where they have us. And online, you can download our free Red State Talk Radio app or just stream us uh, through uh, Talk Stream Live. Now, the first hour, we were just going through the domestic chaos that's going, and I just wanted to reinforce something that I've been saying for a very long time. Social media, and in general, cyberspace, is now the mode of communication we have. Communications have shifted. In 2008, President Barack Hussein Obama, who hopefully will be impeached soon, and held accountable for what he's done, won that election in 2008 against McCain because he utilized social media. Communications change as time changes, right? As we become more technologically advanced, we have access to more information, and the modes of information change. TV for dinosaurs, right? You watch everything online anyway. Everybody can create content, We can create our own Netflix-type thing, right? Hulu-type thing, right? The standard way of newspapers, gone. I mean, we see how failing New York Times and Washington Post constantly put paywalls because they don't sell enough on paper. Nobody does paper anymore because the left, you know, trees and whatnot, not like you can recycle, but okay. So, again, mode of communication changed. Most conversations about current events and anything affecting you and your community are done online. And this is why I said the banning and, well, they've unpersoned Alex Jones, McGinnis, Laura Loomer, so many more too, Milo Yiannopoulos, in the name of hate speech, claiming, and I'm going to play the definition for you because I want to play two clips, one by Ted Cruz and the other one by Dan Crenshaw, and also remind you that the president knows exactly what's up. We should be suing all of them, all of them, 
And we should break them up, like I said yesterday, because they've made it clear what their intention is. President Trump said it the right way, which is, let me tell you, they are trying to rig the elections. That's what we should be looking at, not the phony witch hunt. This is the greatest political disgrace in history. They are attacking our ability to communicate, share information. I've said this so many times. Censorship is about uh, reshaping the way you think about things. Making it clear what you're allowed to talk about and what you're not allowed to talk about, right? They make it clear. And so it's pretty incredible that people don't seem to understand that. And, and like I've said before, the mainstream media, TV and print, the insanity you see going forward is because that gets to the people they want outside of the United States. Not so much on social media unless people subscribe to it. And if their nations allow people to see it, okay? Because that, there's that too, right? So what has Google done? And I've, I wrote an article, so many articles about this last year, and you could go to Tory Says and see it. There has been so much money poured into testing how you can change public discourse on the internet through the Pentagon during the time of the Manning trials, right? I've laid it out to you. They did their homework before they rolled it out to this point. Imagine that President Trump won while they were creating these algorithms. They did not expect the push out and the explosion of support to President Trump. So every single day they change something. Every single moment you search, it feeds into their machine, their new algorithm, their AI. And we've talked about this. And I told you on New Year's Day, AI is the new warfare. So take a listen to what Cruz has Case, to say. Uh, of the senior executives at Google, do you know of a single one who voted for Donald Trump? Thank you, Senator. I'm a user experience director and I work on Google Digital Wellbeing. And I can tell you we have diverse views. I, I, but I can't. question. Do you know of anyone who voted for Trump? Of the senior I definitely know of people who voted for Trump. Of the senior executives at Google? I don't talk politics with my workmate. Is that a no? Sorry, is that a no to what? Do you know of any senior executives, even a single senior executive at the company who voted for Donald Trump? As the digital well-being expert, I don't think this is in my purview to comment on so, so you don't know that. That's all right. You don't have to know. I definitely don't know. I can tell you what the public records show. The public records show that in 2016, Google employees gave to the Hillary Clinton campaign $1.315 million. That's a lot of money. Care to venture how much they gave to the Trump campaign? I would have no idea, sir. Well, the nice thing is it's a round number, $0 and 0 cents. Not a penny according to the public reports. Okay, so I'm going to tell you something that people haven't kind of looked at, and I discovered it back in 2018, that Google, for the Democratic National Committee in regards to ads, right, you know how you pay for ads? They did a lot of those for free for the Democratic National Committee. Now, that 
is something people need to look at. That is something that our senators, our Congress people should look at and probe, not just what's public record, because I can guarantee you that there's a few employees, even senior ones, that donated to President Trump's campaign and probably donated in small little bits so they're not on the record. Because if Google found out that you believe in a strong America, in an independent America, an America that can dictate their own trade agreements, not be told what they can buy and sell, not be told where they can fish or not, not be told where they can have relations or not, but to do it themselves, that you and I can say, we would like to buy eggplants from Colombia and just go ahead and do it. Because according to these massive agreements, there are specific countries that are designated by whoever it is that's appointed to say you can only get eggplants from this country. It's kind of along the same lines as the European community or commercial pact that they have, which underlies the whole creation of the EU. So again, here is where we have Dan Crenshaw asking Derek Slater, who's an executive at Google, about the leaked email calling Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, and PragerU Nazis. Now, PragerU are not Nazis. They actually advise and great, and they create actual great courses. This is coursework. I've donated to them, not an insane amount of money, but whenever, you know, sometimes I'll just drop in 20 bucks whenever I watch something and say, thank you for putting that out there. My children, uh, both my eldest who is now serving and my young one who has declared that she's going to run for president in 2030 zigs, watch PragerU videos to understand the basics because they break it down in really nice format. And they're not biased. They're actually just factual. So here's how they responded to this. Take a listen to this two-minute clip. From Texas for five minutes, Mr. Crenshaw. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for some of the, some of the thoughtful discussion on, on how you combat terrorism online. I think there's worthy debates uh, to be had there. Um, and there's, there's good questions on whether you know, some of this content provides education so that we know of the bad things out there or whether it's radicalizing people. Those are hard, those are hard discussions to have, and, and I don't know that we're going to solve them today. But the problem is, is that the testimony doesn't stop there. The, the policies at your social media companies do not stop there. It doesn't stop at the clear-cut lines of terrorism and terrorist videos and terrorist propaganda. Unfortunately, that's not exactly what we're talking about. It goes much further than that. It goes down the slippery slope of what speech is appropriate for your platform and the vague standards that you employ in order to decide what is appropriate. And this is especially concerning given the recent news and the recent leaked emails from Google. They show that labeling mainstream conservative media as Nazis is a premise upon which you operate. It's not even a question according to those emails. The emails say, given that... Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, and Dennis Prager are Nazis. Given that that's a premise, what do we do about it? Two of three of these people are Jewish, very religious Jews, and yet you think they're Nazis. It, it, it begs the question, what kind of education do people at Google have? Do so they think that religious Jews are Nazis? Three of three of these people had family members killed in the Holocaust. Ben Shapiro is the number one target of the alt-right, and yet you people operate off the premise that he's a Nazi. It's pretty disturbing. And it gets to the question, 
do you believe in hate speech? How do you define that? Do you, can you give me a quick definition right now? Is it written down somewhere, Google? Can you give me a definition of hate speech? Congressman, yes. So hate speech, again, as updated in our guidelines now, extends to uh, uh, superiority over protected groups to justify discrimination, violence, and so on. From Texas for five minutes. Superiority over groups to justify violence and such over protected groups. So does that sound like Antifa? Because they're superior to us, right? Does it sound like the LGBTQ? Because for some reason, because they sleep with the same sex, opposite sex, change their sex, don't have sex, they're superior to us. They're a protected class, but we are not. The heteros, I'm saying. That's key. So they're redefining what hate speech is. And hate speech, I'm going to tell you what Google's definition should be and what is the mainstream definition. Hate speech is whatever the mainstream media says it is. And mainstream media includes cyber media, includes Google, includes YouTube, includes Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. They tell you what they consider hate speech. It's no longer, I don't like you because you're Latino. It's I don't like you because you are white and you owe people money. I don't like you because you have white privilege, something they coined. You know, this is ridiculous and it needs to be stopped because this is how they're going to change elections indeed. Now, moving forward, let's talk about foreign policy because stuff are heating up and I want you to listen to what the president has to say on Iran first Um, What he said um, is pretty interesting. So I and we'll read in between the lines. Then I'm going to play a clip from Al Jazeera where Rouhani is actually speaking about the president. And then a clip from Putin, what he said last in regards to what's going on. This morning, by a tweet. What message did you want to send to him with your tweets? Oh, there is no message. You know, I'll tell you what the message is. When they're ready, they'll have to let us know. When they're ready, they'll let us know. Very simple. Ready to negotiate, you mean? Ready to do whatever. Doesn't make any difference. Whatever they want to do, I'm ready. Okay? So he's Jared Kushner is in Bahrain right yes. now, releasing this economic component of the Middle East peace plan without the Israelis or Palestinian officials attending. support and we have to get economic support because the Palestinians don't have money and we have to help the Palestinians with some uh, money because they don't have it and one of wait what we're helping the Palestinians I thought that Palestinians were all bad I thought according to Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib that you know we're evil and we're trying to eradicate it wait a minute what we're trying to give the Palestinians money did you guys hear that Double take on that one. Because the Palestinians themselves as people have no money. The only people you see is Hamas, Hezbollah, all these terrorist organizations fighting supposedly on behalf of the Palestinians and maybe radicalizing a few because they're desperate. Key. What have I said before? We need to listen to what the leaders say. Now, if we... Remember what he just said. Well, when they're ready, they'll tell us. They'll, we'll talk about it. Totally skirted the question. Totally. It must be extremely difficult 
for the Ayatollah to actually, you know, Rouhani is having a very difficult time to maintain his stance of negativity toward the U.S. and also President Trump to maintain his negativity toward Iran in a more reasonable and comical fashion. The same way we saw it happen with the dynamic with Kim Jong-un and President Trump, right, when they were already in talks. So I can tell you one thing. Iranian and American relations have never been better than they are now. They are awesome. And if you're listening to the mainstream media and you think that we're going to war and you think that the Ayatollah is being aggressive, you're not paying attention. Yesterday I played a clip of, did I play the clip or I just told you about it, I think, where the British foreign minister said, oh, I don't think uh, the United States is going to ask the United Kingdom to help them go into war with Iran. You know, they're not going to ask us for any help if they go to war with Iran. But I stress to my European, uh, you know, allies, especially France and Germany, to stand really firm on the Iranian deal. The Iranian deal firm that Rouhani demanded two months ago, and that expires on July 7th or 8th, hmm, just in a week, is money. So now France and Germany have to figure out how they're going to load a plane with cash and send it over. They got a deadline. Here's the thing. You send over, Merkel already sent over a plane with 400,000 euros that I reported. I reported it. Nobody else talked about it. It was on the mainstream media on a few outlets, European, a few outlets. So again, do we have eyes on planes? Yes, we do. And will the United States bring that to the forefront? Hey, there's a plane with a lot of cash that just landed. Yes, we will. And that money's going all to who? The IRGC. Because we didn't label the Iranian government as terrorists. We didn't label factions that fund Hamas, you know, Hezbollah, the Houthis, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab. We didn't label them, those factions that pay a terrorist organization. We didn't label Khamenei a terrorist. We labeled the IRGC. The IRGC that was created by Peter Strzok Sr. in the late 70s and early 80s when they installed the Khamenei regime. People forget. This goes back Iran-Contra goes back, and then after that, it's the tanker wars. We did that. Nothing to do with oil. At first, yes. At first, yes. We want all the oil, suck it dry, take the real estate, create the railroads, invade Africa. Plan. That's how Eurasia and Africa meet. They meet through where? The Middle East. So, that is where the interesting part kicks in. Now take a listen uh, to what uh, Rouhani had to say. Lost its mind. That's how Iran's president described the latest round of U.S. sanctions against his country. Years of restrictions have severely dented the Iranian economy. Now President Donald Trump is targeting Iran's supreme leader and his military chiefs. He signed an executive order on Monday denying them access to financial resources. The sanctions are designed to punish Tehran for what the U.S. calls its destabilizing activities in the Middle East and to prevent it from developing nuclear weapons. Just a hiatus. So this executive order was to confiscate 
I, the Supreme Leader Khamenei's assets outside of Iran. Now, Rouhani came up and said, oh, he doesn't have assets. We're not freezing his assets and confiscating them overseas to punish him. It's to keep him safe. But Iranian leaders say that Washington has closed the door on diplomacy. They are suffering from mental disability. The White House is afflicted by mental retardation and does not know what to do. This means the certain failure and defeat of the United States. I do not have any doubt about that from a political viewpoint. No wise person would do what they're doing these days. I feel that there is severe frustration and a big confusion among the U.S. leaders and the White House. Well, the U.S. National Security Advisor says the door remains open for talks with Tehran. If Iran gave up its pursuit of nuclear weapons, its uh, ballistic missile uh, development program, which is designed to create delivery vehicles for nuclear weapons, if it gave up its support for terrorism, if it stopped its other uh, malign activities across the region, we'd be very happy. Secretary Pompeo last year gave a speech where he listed 12 things. I've given you four. It's sort of an expanded list. That's the end game we want. All right. So we saw that before, right? You remember Kim Jong-un saying the same things about President Trump, President Trump talking smack to Kim Jong-un about big buttons. Well, we didn't say big buttons. We said, hey, your call. Which way do you want to put it? You want to go to war? We're game. You don't want to go to war? We're also game. So let's talk. This is where we're at. Now, take a listen to Russian Times. Okay, they put this clip out about 10 days ago. It's really important that we listen to it. I like Rick um, uh, Sanchez. I I really do like him Uh, as uh, his speech flow and how he puts it out. uh, He's actually quite good. Take a listen to what he says. You know, as Americans, we don't usually get to hear directly from Vladimir Putin, no less unfiltered Vladimir Putin. But tonight, I think it's important that we do so. Uh, To those of you thinking, well, of course, you're going to play Putin sound bites, you're RT. No, no, actually, I kind of had to talk our uh, editorial staff into this one because over the weekend, I happened to be listening to what he had to say about how dangerous our world is right now. And it got me to thinking that whether we think he's an angel or the devil himself, as uh, he's made out to be in the U.S. media, generally speaking, uh, the questions that he is raising about nuclear proliferation may be paramount to our survival. So it's in Russian. So while he's speaking, um, I'm going to lower his volume now so I can um, read the translation because I don't speak Russian yet. I'm still learning. If we don't keep this fiery serpent under control, if we let it out of the bottle, this could lead to a global catastrophe. Look, today everyone is addressing environmental issues, and they are right to do so, because there are threats such as climate change. I get it. Anthropogenic emissions and so on. All of this is correct in some sense. Even children, girls and boys all over the world are more sensible to that. But they do not realize that these young people, especially teenagers, and children are not aware of the global threat and serious challenge posed by possible global conflicts. This is something adult men and women should think about. However, I get the impression that these uh, issues have somehow become a commonplace and have kind of been shifted into the background. This raises natural concerns, of course. Now, Putin insists that he's willing to do whatever... 
to renew any and all treaties, including the START Treaty. And, and then he describes in quite ominous terms what can happen if we continue building more and more nuclear weapons. If no one is interested in renewing the START III Treaty, we will not renew it. We have already said a hundred times that we're ready to do so, but no one is willing to talk about this with us. Please note that there is no formal negotiating process here, and everything will expire in 2021. Mind you, there will be more, no more instruments to limit an arms race or, for example, deploying weapons in outer space. Do we understand what this means or not? Ask the experts. It means that each of us, say, under a nuclear weapon, can be hovered above permanently. But we're doing this and we're doing it quickly. Will anyone ever think about that? Talk about it or show any concern? No, complete silence. Or take low-yield nuclear weapons or non-nuclear strategic missiles. What if global-range strategic missile is launched from a submarine in the middle of the ocean? How, how do we know if it carries a nuclear charge or not? Do you realize how serious and dangerous this is? Is Putin issuing an SOS to the world? Is the warning diplomatic, earnest, personal, or all of the above? He was asked by a reporter if the world is becoming more dangerous and if he's worried about that. His response, which seemed to go on for quite some time, should, regardless of what we might think of the man or his motives, be taken seriously. This is the news with Rick Sanchez, where statements by foreign heads of state like these, generally ignored by the corporate media, is why we say it's time to do news again. Yeah, it is time to do news again. Did you hear that? Straight from the horse's mouth, Putin putting out an APB saying, guys, why are we talking about the START Three Treaty that controls nuclear weapons? We're going into space. What stops it? How do we control this? Putin is saying this. The rest of the world, silent. I'll see you all in just a bit right after this short break. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr. and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switch to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it. But we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855 700 2978 
That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Okay, welcome back to the Tori Says Show. So this is the last half hour, and it is going to be pretty informative, and I'm going to tell you exactly what is going on in Europe. So uh, this has just hit the fan completely. Uh, Turkey is now claiming that they have rights to Crete. I kid you not. Uh, Yeni Safak is all over uh, the um, the print media across Europe stating it. Just to recap, I want you to listen to the latest news uh, coming in from Europe on TRT World on what's going on in Europe at the moment. It is uh, pure insanity what we're hearing. Take a listen. Yavuz is the second Turkish ship to embark on a drilling mission. Another ship, Fatih, has been at work in the Mediterranean Sea since November. Greek-administered Cyprus says Turkey is violating its exclusive economic zone. It and Greece want the EU to take action against Turkey. I had the opportunity to speak with the Cypriot president, Nikos Anastasiadis, to discuss and to formulate together That's at a the diplomatic Prime level and within the framework of the European Union, of which we are both members, the steps Cyprus and Greece must take. And we have agreed to prepare the ground in the coming week for the EU summit to take the appropriate decisions, even sanctions against Turkey, if it is verified that there has been drilling by Turkey in the Cypriot exclusive economic Zone. Ankara has dismissed the threats. The Greek Prime Minister has been talking nonsense about this is the Eastern Erdogan. Mediterranean issue. He may continue to do so. I told him clearly that we have rights there, and in exercising our rights, our exploratory ships and drilling ships will do their jobs in the eastern Mediterranean, and our military will continue to guard those vessels. 
Turkey admits drilling has been conducted, but says it's been on the Turkish continental shelf. It also says Greek-administered Cyprus has long denied Turkish Cypriots their fundamental rights, including security and their fair share in the island's economic prosperity. Turkey's energy minister Fatih Dönmez says exploration work will continue until the end of next month. In the meantime, Ankara says some Western countries need to cut down on sabre-rattling and intimidation. Failing that, the Turkish president says Turkey knows how to secure its rights by other means. Hassan Abdullah, TRT World, Ankara. Wow, right? So they know how to secure their means in other ways, if you heard correctly. So now they have made a declaration, and this is making rounds all over the Mediterranean media. Uh, and like I said, it was Yemen Safiq who made, Yeni Safiq, who said uh, that Turkey's territory meets up all the way down uh, to engul- engulf... Uh, <laughs> It's 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 uh, you know what? Let me just I I think I uh, let me just retweet this. There's a map. If you're on Twitter, um, follow me. I am tweeting this out now. Um, They are literally redrawing their borders. You have to take a look at this map. And uh, it is uh, off. I just wanted to send that off for those that are on Twitter. They have expanded their borders to uh, pretty much take it from their borders all the way down to um, Egypt, um, not sort of touching on the Israeli, Syrian, and uh, Jordan borders. I mean, it is pretty incredible claiming that they have the right of water, which is has always and will always be Greek waters that span from Crete all the way to Cyprus. It is incredible. They are, they're literally declaring war and people are sitting on their hands. And like I've said, you know, they will continue to do so because they are being allowed to do so. So it is uh, just, you know, the, the president of Greece made a statement today, um, to Turkey saying that uh, Greece and its um, uh, and the military forces of Greeks will impose and they have the right to on behalf of the international community and the EU to respect the international waters that have been drawn for decades and the European uh, laws that instate that, that reinforce it, basically, is, is what he's saying. I'm translating as I'm speaking. Um, and he says that uh, he is sending a uh, ship, he's sending ships down to the area, and he is waiting for them to retreat because they have brought in their military forces in Greek waters. Again, I tell you that this is a huge concern, uh, you know, and coupled with that, that we saw a sudden insane outbreak in refugees in Alexandrupoli, which is up north, coming in, pouring in from Turkey, which is crazy. They are just pouring in, um, you know, mass amount of illegal immigrants coming in from Turkey yesterday. Uh, We're talking in the tens of thousands at once. 
coming up to the shores. It is just horrific what is going on. They're fleeing Turkey, and then we have, uh, you know, the concerns of the uh, illegal migrants entering European uh, positions, but more so Greece is concerned uh, because of the fact that uh, they can't regulate who they are and believe that the majority of them are to uh, create or mitigate any war strategies by Turkey, you know, like infiltration. Now, East Med Act, okay? It is something very important to Greece and Israel and Cyprus and, you know, being key partners to the United States, it's a big deal. There was an overwhelming majority of the Foreign Affairs Committee in the Senate uh, paving the way to push forward for the East Med Act. Uh, In particular, the Bill on Security and Energy Cooperation in the Eastern Mediterranean. That's basically what it's called. And it was discussed on Tuesday, this Tuesday, uh, in the Foreign Affairs Committee, something people weren't talking about. Nobody talked about it. And um, only Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley and Ed Mark did not vote on it. But uh, the objections of these two senators is not so much because of the geopolitical content of the bill as to the energy component of it, because they both, you know, want to go with the whole new green agreement and stuff like that, ecological sensitivities, because Greece hasn't drilled the amount of oil they have in the ocean for the pure reason that it cannot unequivocally say that there won't be any damage to the waters of the Mediterranean. Remember, the waters of the Mediterranean provide sustenance and are a source of, um, I mean, it's a huge fishing area, and they don't want to cause disruption to it. Now, um, it is a bipartisan bill. Bob Menendez and Marco Rubio um, have been attempting to reform the geopolitical strategy in the southeastern med, um, and it's the cooperation of Greece, Israel, and Cyprus, like I've told you before, which is of interest. Now, many, many, many people are predicting of lifting the arms embargo on Cyprus. So Cyprus has an arms embargo um, as well as, you know, more so because of the Turkish violations, okay, because half of it is owned by Turkey. Now, uh, Gus Bilirakis, uh, he's out of um, Florida, He's Greek as well. They've already put the bill to the House and hoping that it will go forward because, again, this is something that we should be uh, involving ourselves in as the United States because disruption in that area, aside from the fact I know uh, I do believe that it is very important that we maintain um, and have an ecological, uh, um, how should I say, we should be more mindful of the things we do, kind of like fracking, right? I'm totally for that. And um, oil pipes, I mean, I'm not, I don't like the fact that things are going underwater bodies, right? Because I can tell you for a fact, in my city here in North Dakota and Minot, they have gas pipelines and they excrete a a specific, um, so we have pockets of natural gas uh, within, uh, you know, under, around my county. And they are eroding the pipes for drinking water. And so imagine pipes that are pumping tons and tons of barrels 
of oil under lakes or, you know, in oceans or seas. So unless we have the technology or the ability to ensure, uh, you know, almost at a 99.99%, uh, you know, point that it won't cause damage to the ecosystem of the area, I wholeheartedly agree with the let's not drill. This is why Greece and Cyprus have never drilled when they have oil for days in the Mediterranean. Now, uh, this uh, this bill that was discussed and passed in the Senate and now at the table of, uh, you know, the House is being lobbied hard by Greek and Jewish organizations um, to create a more diplomatic energy and more mindful energy. Uh, so it is a really big step. And this is actually a slap in the face on Tuesday to uh, Turkey for being discussed now, obviously, when their aggression has increased. So the United States has taken a position on that end, but I've already told you about our military presence and the delivery of weapons in the area too. So this is not something to dilly-dally. It's not so much, so much more of, oh yeah, you know, it's a more green thing. It's more about... Um, control of the real estate because they've expanded their territory by themselves. Turkey says, nope, this is our our territory. And it's like, but nobody says it's your territory. You're the only one saying, yep, and it's right, so shut up. That's basically what they're telling people. So this is a huge leap, okay, in regards to relations uh, between um, Cyprus, Israel, and Greece, and the United States. And um, it pretty much puts the Eastern Mediterranean on the map in regards to strategies uh, in energy. Because, yes, we have those land-based communities in the Middle East with oil, but the Mediterranean is jammed packed with black gold. And again, I stress that over, you know, 40 years ago when exploration was due uh, and they discovered the immense amount, uh, the concerns that they had back then and they still stand now from nations like Italy, Cyprus, Greece, are that we do not have the technology in place to ensure that there will be no damage to the Mediterranean, which is a, you know, it could it could be an ecological catastrophe, uh, you know, in regards to uh, trade for food uh, and the impact that it could have is is immense. So that's good that we have the U.S. on board. And now that they're actually sending warships out into the Mediterranean, it's really, really heating up, extremely heating up. And we are going to see developments uh, leading up to the G20 like no other. Now, here's another thing that I wanted to say, something that, you know, we've been talking about how uh, Turkey purchased the S-400 missiles from uh, Russia, and even though the U.S. said, hey, we might not give you the F-35s when you do it, and that's after President Trump uh, was sworn in as president, right, because before that, Obama was totally fine with it. Um, you know, they now decided in their declaration yesterday that they no longer care about the West and they're going to join the Shanghai Corporation and team up with Russia. And that's so dumb because the only record, okay, the only thing that, you know, Turkey has ever done in history is have a criminal record of genocide. You know, they've committed genocide to Armenians and and Greeks. And in the end, you know, that is all they stand for. And don't forget the Russian communities. 
that nation, that self-declared nation, is a mashup of many nations that it has taken control because they feel like it and they are doing this again with international waters. I need to state that. But where I was going with this is, okay, they've done this with the F-35s, but see, you know what no one is talking about? China. China, China, China. What is China doing? They have new customers in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, and they're selling their JF-17s. Yes, they are. So in, uh, they've actually, they were at the um, Paris show of 2019, and um, they found uh, new customers, new nations that are purchasing their JF-17 fighter jets. Uh, now, Pakistani media credits it from the expo, the air show in 2019 in Paris as to why they got all these. But Burma, Nigeria, Pakistan, they are, you know, Ch- China and Pakistan actually work together on the JF-17 uh, uh, combat aircraft. So Burma, Nigeria, um, and Pakistan are promoting these aircrafts. And so Egypt and Malaysia are interested um, in kind of like stymieing a little bit the release, but there are countries that have sent delegations, you know, during this Paris event, and they've got huge customer reactions. So it is going to be crazy to see these new fighter, like, you know, China is super competing uh, in particular in Block 3. Uh, it's equipped with um, AESA radar, uh, Salsen Tourette, uh, and uh, state-of-the-art air-to-air missiles, and they're all Chinese. They've got a state-of-the-art missile warning systems that actually use AI for predictive um, maneuvers to avoid. Um, super, uh, like, incredible uh, aerospace and other comms that cannot be, uh, in you know, intercepted. Like the Chinese have taken the JF-17 to another level and Pakistan has cooperated with them. And let's just think back to the, you know, mid late 2000s, right? When one day out of the blue, India and Pakistan are shooting out missiles and people are like, where'd they get that? This is where they get it. Because there's a lot of things going on that aren't being reported. And this is one of the most important things. One of the most important things is that they are now selling... This new fighter jet, you know, we think the F-35 is the bee's knees. Wait till you see the JF-17. Like, their specs are off the charts. Obviously, the majority of their um, their circuitry and algorithms that they have, but their air-to-air missiles, from what I've seen, you know, on the back end, are pretty incredible. And the fact that they have infrared chaff abilities and, uh, oh my gosh, it's, you know, and then they can revert to joystick at a remote location outside of, you know, the cockpit. Meaning like if you're flying and you shoot an air-to-air missile, right? And for some reason, that plane can evade it because, you know, your infrared is being, you know, stymied, they've chaffed, whatever. Someone can actually take over from wherever on a base somewhere with a joystick and work with camera to target it. And these are kind of like drone slash missiles. It's incredible. You would think that it was like one of these um, missiles we know Russia has on the Moshka Kara, one of their ships. 
but it's like way ahead of that. And also AI assists in regards to maneuvering these missiles. I mean, and the maneuvering of the plane. It will give suggestions, real-time suggestions to the pilots in these high-tech helmets they have as predicting trajectories, predicting movements of the pilot they're following or whatever they're doing. So... I'm telling you, China is on it. I don't know why no one's talking about it. I guess you got to be a defense buff or someone like me that looks at everything. But, you know, Africa is one of their leading targets. And here's where we just end this with a little bit of Africa. So Africa is very strategic, right? I've said it before. It's a dark continent. Oh, so, so rich, rare earths. You know, minerals, oil, gas, precious gems and and metals. Um, And you know what? They are they've been under Chinese fingers for a long time. Uh, Africa has served many global ambitions of foreigners, right? Uh, People outside of Africa, Uh, missionaries, bankers, manufacturers, whatever. But none of them have really ended up, you know, colonizes perfectly. Like they've seized the riches of Africa, uh, colonizing a nation next to another and letting people like plunge, you know, the Africans into poverty. But today, the Epic Times actually, and by the way, Epic Times is actually a Chinese company. I'm just letting you know, right? Just, I don't think a lot of people know that the Epic Times are Chinese, but they even released an article today talking about um, the activities of China in Africa. And the thing is, is that China in Africa has been, they've been there for a while. They've taken over their communications. They have spearheaded projects, especially in South Africa, in dominating all communications they have from internet, phone, television, Uh, It's just, um, it's pretty incredible. And so I've told you before that Africa will be coming into question. And this is because it's a primary target for nations that wish to expand their businesses uh, and have interests in um, the dark continent and have a foothold for investments. Now, You have to understand that back in 2010, when China invaded, and I'm using invaded kind of loosely, Africa, it started to flirt with the idea of coming to Latin America. And Latin America literally put their foot down saying, nope, we've seen that movie before. And look at what's happening to Africa. And this is, like I said, done For years now, I'm talking 2010, Latin America said no thank you to China because you are killing them. Do you remember how I told you the EU owns the Ukraine? What did they do? They had corrupt politicians in office in the Ukraine line their pockets with billions of euros. And in exchange, they sold the rights to the natural gas that the Ukraine has. They sold their rights to their airports. Any government, state-run, you know, organization that's lucrative, they sold. The same thing has happened to Africa. Now, the United States has an opportunity to intervene because now African nations are indebted to China because they have their corrupt politicians. 
that want the money, you know, and, you know, in small towns or cities where they've kind of infiltrated, the local governor, mayor would get a couple million dollars, send his kid to the United States and study to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. And they were rich while the rest were poor. But China got them to be in debt. And this loan to develop their city or their country cannot be paid because they're they're in poverty. They can't. They don't have anything. So it's, you know, like Sudan is under their thumb. There's so many. And again, I say that Latin America was so upset when China tried to penetrate. So upset. They were just like, nope, it's not happening. You're not coming. Africa has been held hostage by the Chinese. They literally use the Africans as slave labor, meaning they've, uh, they, uh, for example, they've taken over their communications. So television and stuff like that is pretty much Chinese owned. Everything. All the communications are pretty much Chinese owned. Every single thing. And it, as we know in China, <laughs> They're a little bit propaganda-ish. And this is where it pushes. So now where you would have, say, Dish Network right here or DirecTV, they have their own TV service, the Chinese, that they've set up. And it's all about, you know, China and Africa and how good China is doing for Africa. In the meantime, they're literally buying the continent they're literally making the people of that continent slaves. And in turn, you would think if they're investing so much, right, why aren't they rebuilding the community? Like if a country came in, say I was the United States, and I would go somewhere in Zambia and say, all right, here's how we're going to work. I'm going to set up, uh, you know, an electric grid for you guys so you have electricity. And we'll do some clean energy and some manufactured where we buy electric packets from other countries. But I'll power you. And you, the state, because I power you, will get a percentage of whatever money I make from your customers that buy power from this power grid that I set up. This is how you do good business. You're both increasing, you know, you're adding to the community, making money, but so is the community making money. This is why they're allowing you to build the power grid. That's how good cooperations go. China goes in there and says, here's some money, give me this. They take it and they do whatever they want. It's basically what's happening. And so... This is going to be unfolding, and the United States can actually intervene and help them if they want to, but it's not time yet. We're going to be talking about that in late 2019 as things start to heat up with the Middle East being diffused in the next coming weeks. There's a lot going on today, and it's going to be a pretty exciting Wednesday. On that note, I want to wish all of you a wonderful evening. I'll see you all here tomorrow. Same time, same place, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern time on Red State Talk Radio. From all of us here at Red State, God bless. A long way from the suits in D.C. 
but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there. 